Happy 420! Welcome to Stone Cold Murder. We are your hosts, Kai and B. Thanks for tuning in for Season 1, Episode 9. Just a PSA, if you are listening and have any information that you would like to share to help solve a crime, please go to www.crimestoppers.com. have tea and be dizzle on the pod tonight <laughs> thanks for being on with us guys i just want to mention tea and be dizzle have been married for a long time and they're just the sweetest couple so sweetest pal thanks for being on guys <laughs> sure you bet. It. <laughs> good to be here yeah we got all stoned beforehand we smoked a little dabs and a little flower and a little edibles, so we're feeling good. Everybody feeling stoned or mm-hmm. feeling good? Like yeah. Like mm-hmm. to go back out. That sounds like an edible bouquet. What's that? Yeah. yeah. Flower. Yeah, it was it was impressive watching you guys work. Watching, you know, it was like a it was a factory over there. It was, I love it. <laughs> you were you, dab later. You were dab. building this beautiful joint, and <laughs> he was getting the dabs all set up, and it Perfect was it was cool, man. I was like, this is impressive. We've done it for a while. Yeah, you can tell. This is their second time. <laughs> You've been dabbing long enough. What would be that theme song? For them? Going on behind the scenes. Yeah, what's your theme song? What's your theme song? Well, it's like a finely, you said it's like a finely tuned machine. Yeah. What would be like the most mechanic sounding song you could think of? (laughs) The, uh, okay. Uh, It'd have to be metal or something like that, like some Ramstein. (laughs) For some reason, I I cannot get Stayin' Alive out of my head. I'm dead. So, like, I can't think of any other songs yes. because all I can think of is... It's like stuff in your joint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have the one but for you. I don't think that's your theme song. What, what is it? Bob the Builder. Bob the Builder. Can he smoke it? Can he smoke it? Yes, he can. can. You're damn right he can. It's perfect. It's so it's time he wants. He can eat Legal it. in his state. Yes. <laughs> All right, shall we get into it? I'm ready to get into it. Are you guys ready to get into it? Mm-hmm. You bet. Yeah. All righty. So we are going to bring you the case of Rita Hester. Have either anybody heard the Rita Hester case? I don't think so. No. no. All right. So this is one that I have stumbled across actually researching another case. Like, I have told you this probably every episode that we've recorded it at this point, mm-hmm. but... I've gone out like researching these bigger cases and then I come out like with a different case. And this one just stuck out to me a lot. So I just wanted to bring attention to this one. All right. So this uh, story starts on, on November 28th, 1998 in Boston. Boston police received a phone call about a domestic violence incident happening at an apartment building in Alston, Massachusetts. She described to the dispatcher that someone was screaming and lots of loud noises were coming from the first floor apartment in her complex. This was the apartment belonging to Rita Hester. Rita Hester was just a few days away from her 35th birthday and she had just returned home from going out that night to just celebrate. Uh, So she went to the bars and her friend was supposed to meet her out at the bars, but that didn't end up happening. She arrived home just before 6 p.m., and the 911 call came in at 6.12 p.m., so not a lot of time in between her showing up and the 911 call coming in about the domestic violence. 
So what they thought is maybe she was attacked as soon as she entered her home, like maybe someone was waiting for her or even that she brought the person with her and they attacked her once they got inside. When police arrived on the scene, they did not attempt to enter the apartment right away, nor did they get in contact with the residents inside. The apartment was on the main level and her back door was open. So they, they could have, but maybe they didn't really know what was going on, so they didn't attempt to. One of the neighbors recalls that it did take a long time for the police to enter her apartment and the back door was open. She confirmed that. When they finally entered the apartment, they found 34-year-old Rita Hester laying on the floor, still alive but severely injured. It was a clear struggle that had taken place. Rita Hester had fought for her life and she told her story and painted it in the blood all over her apartment. Her phone had been ripped from the wall and they found half a shoe print on the floor that was not Rita's. And there was no missing items from the apartment, so it was not a robbery. The locks on the front door and back doors had been untouched, leading neighbors and police to believe her killer had been invited in. Now I just want you guys to think for a minute. The fear that you would have about like getting attacked in your own home, for one, and just like coming into your own home and just like being attacked, thinking you're gonna die, And then like having just a little tiny bit of hope that like the cops are showing up, like paramedics are showing up and then like you may be saved even though you're like bleeding out on your floor. But unfortunately, this is not the case for Rita. Law enforcement and paramedics waited for more than an hour to treat her and transport her to the hospital. They waited an hour? Wow. When she would later die at the hospital. Uh, She lay in her own blood, bleeding out and clinging to her life on the floor while officials waited to perform life-saving measures on her or immediately transport her to the hospital for help. When she finally arrives at the hospital and is pronounced dead, it's actually from cardiac arrest and not from bleeding out. Jeez. She was stabbed 20 times. (laughs) And I just want to point out that this was dead from cardiac arrest and not blood loss. After more than an hour after the 911 call initially. And I know that like this can happen due to blood loss a lot of times, but like after being stabbed and like this lack of urgency, it just seems like maybe it could have been prevented. Could have been different. We don't know because it wasn't done, but like maybe it could have helped the situation. But we're going to get into kind of like why it took police along and it was just kind of an issue that was going on back in this time and still today. While I can't like completely speak on the responding paramedics and officers actions that day, I do think it's safe to speculate that these people were letting their personal feelings and convictions and beliefs or whatever you may want to call it to like interfere with the care that they gave for Rita that day. Mm, That's sad. And this is for one because Rita was a black woman, but also she was a transgender black woman. In 1998, being a black woman was dangerous, as it is, but being a black trans woman was a very scary thing. Kind of shouldn't have been. Um, She deserved to be cared for. Yeah, people should be able to, like, live their life without being feared that people are going to be taking it away just because they're living it. Or for just, like, simply being her true authentic self. The anger and the violence that these particular victims experience is completely heinous and like senseless and hateful in all regards like most murder is but like this is targeted a lot of times yeah local police called Catherine hester rita's mom who lived in manchester at the time that evening on november 28 1998 this was two days before rita's 35th birthday 
1995, a few years before Rita's murder, Chanel Pickett, a 23-year-old black transgender woman living in Boston, was found dead. She was beaten, strangled. She was found in William Palmer's apartment. Um, he used the trans panic defense, which was um, kind of a big thing that was used back in the day. Um, I had no idea. I've never heard of this before. It's just emotional response. So act out of anger or dislike knowing like some people maybe not knowing that they were transgender but in oh. this case this was not the case they did know it but so he was trying to make it sound he like he didn't it know like he was taking a woman home would, that yeah, was and she lied to him, <clears throat> yeah, but yeah. this yeah. turned out not to be the case this okay. has happened in some cases yeah, yeah. unfortunately it's still not okay <clears throat> it's yeah. still not okay yeah. to murder somebody but that does happen in some cases this was not the case yeah Palmer's attorney argued that the violence preceding Pickett's death was in part an emotional reaction to the unexpected bedroom revelation that she was a trans woman. To that, first of all, I want to say that it's never okay to kill someone <laughs> in a fit of rage, like whoever yeah. they are. Yeah. And second, I wanted to point out that this man was known to sleep with other trans women. This wow. was not the first woman, trans woman he had slept with. He was reported to have slept with six. Wow. And this was like a normal thing for him. Like he frequented gay bars and picked up these women and it was like it was a normal so thing for him. He was curious. Yeah. Or he was yeah, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And something probably happened. He was angry he and he ended up killing yeah. her. So yeah. still not okay. Yeah. No, not no. okay in any way you want to slice no. it. But even with all of this, Palmer dodged a murder sentence he got manslaughter and received two years in prison for the assault and battery two for assault years? and battery instead and they proved him to be the killer he wow. was she was found in his apartment wow that's sad two years for murder <laughs> but this this actually shocked the captain the police investigator that was on the case and he was very shocked that he only got two years and he was like upset about it he's like this was murder like yeah. i really expected him to be away for a long time yeah but. that's insane and it did shock boston the boston community as well mm -hmm. rita hester herself even once commented to a local newspaper about the case um saying quote i'm afraid of what will happen if palmer gets off lightly it'll just give people a message that it's okay to do this this is a message that we cannot afford to send Three years later, she would also be tragically murdered. Wow. So she said that in court. Wow. And then... She was murdered. Not that long later. She was <clears> gone. <throat> yeah, it's really sad. Melinda Wilson, a fixture at one of the Boston trans communities, said that Rita's habits made her nervous. She said, our life is difficult. It really is. Wilson said of being a black trans woman in Boston, our lifestyle is dangerous, to tell you the truth. She would wonder whether Hester was too casual about the freedoms the city offered. Rita had a, a magnetic presence. Friends said it was hard to imagine anyone disliking her, and her natural beauty granted her some privilege that many trans people just didn't have. So a lot of people just said that she passed more as a woman than a lot of people. Mm. A lot of people just thought she was just a woman instead of a trans woman. Wow. Uh -huh. So she said, I kept telling her, I said, baby, just because you are the way you are, you can't be thinking you can go up to these straight clubs thinking you can pick up anybody. Mm. Um, but Rita did find her best friend in a straight club. She met Brenda Wynn on Wynn's first bartending shift in 1990. Rita was her first transgender friend, but she said that didn't matter. She said, when you meet your best friend in life and as soon as you meet them, it's like you've known them your whole life. 
and you just hang out, he said. It's very normal and comfortable that we had that like right away. It was nice. The two were so close that Hester spent Thanksgiving with Wynn and her family on November 26, 1998. It was the first time that Hester hadn't gone home for Thanksgiving since moving to Boston. November 28th, the two had spent that Saturday morning playing racquetball. Rita left Brenda's house around noon. They were going to go out together and then come back to Brenda's to watch some figure skating that was on that night. But then Brenda decided at the last minute that she didn't want to go out. She was going to stay home. And then Rita was going to meet her back at her place after she went out for a drink for her birthday. So at 4 p.m. on the 28th, Rita Hester called a friend. And she mentioned that she was headed to the Silhouette Lounge, a dive bar that's just around the corner from her apartment. They planned to meet her there just a few hours later. That friend took a nap before heading over to meet her shortly after 7 p.m. She said, quote, I walked to the Silhouette and I see her street was just blocked off with cops. And I'm like, what happened? And then she said, I have a bad feeling. At this time, Brenda was at her apartment in Alston waiting for Rita. She was supposed to come over hours earlier, but she never showed up. When Hester didn't return to Brenda's apartment that night, she assumed that she had maybe just met a guy at the lounge and just forgot to call and cancel. She said that that happened sometimes. According to her, she just went to bed without giving it a second thought. She was like, yeah, maybe she found someone and she decided not to come over or whatever. I'm going to go to bed. Neighbors told Rita's sister, Diana, that they saw two white men leave Hester's building just after 6 o'clock the night of her murder. Brenda and another friend said that Rita had met two guys at the Silhouette Lounge the night before her murder. Quote, she was hanging out with some Brazilian guys, supposedly, Brenda said. And she did say that the details were fuzzy because she wasn't there. Hmm. But she had heard about it from someone else. And then a different friend said that Rita was with an Australian man, and one was young, one was old, and she recalled seeing them at the Silhouette Lounge the night before Rita's death. She said, I always had a bad feeling about those guys. I don't know why, she said. They looked like they they would carry knives or something, and I oh, mentioned that's... it to the police. Wow. So it's kind of like very different stories. One said Brazilian, one said Australian. So I'm not really... But there's two men in both stories, all three stories, yeah. so... Hmm. That's interesting. Um, but apparently these two men were interviewed, and they said that they had just walked Rita to her place, so she didn't have to walk home alone, and then they didn't even go inside. So police took the men's word for it. That was that. So Rita okay. did have a white blonde boyfriend named Bobby, according to her friends and family, but no one could seem to remember his last name, so... Oh. Bobby, Bobby. Yeah, just Bobby. Yeah. Mr. Bobby. Brenda said while Bobby was her main guy, she had other guys, some sugar daddies, and some just for fun. <laughs> so she isn't the kind of arrangement. She didn't know what kind of arrangement she had with Bobby. She wasn't shy at yes. all. Yes. Like. Like, I don't know if it was exclusive, but she may have been seeing other people. So. <laughs> but they did mention that. Uh, <laughs> Diana Hester said that she told police about Bobby after Rita died, but no one ever saw him again. Wow. Yes, that's interesting too. That is. A few weeks before her death, Hester went on vacation to Greece. Right before she left, she punched someone in the face <laughs> at the Model Cafe in Austin. 
a bar that she frequented. Brenda said that she vaguely recalled the incident, and she said, if anything, it was the kind of thing Rita would do to protect one of her friends. Possibly even Brenda herself, she said, to the police. Both the friend and Brenda have other suspicions, though. They say, think that maybe a man or men who couldn't face his attraction to a trans woman came home with Hester that night and killed her in a fit oh, of shame. That's awful. I mean, that's very possible. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it does happen more often mm-hmm. than not, unfortunately. Yeah. During this research, I did see a lot of newspapers just misgender Rita over and over and over. And I just wanted to, like, just say that she's a woman. And just, like, we want to be respected. Like, she owes the respect that she wishes to be treated, you know? And that's why I, like, chose to make sure that I gendered her appropriately, too. Like, even though a lot of her family doesn't and a lot of the newspapers don't either. If you go, like, research this case, that will be different. Respecting her wishes. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out, too. Mm -hmm. The same year, inspired by Rita's murder, Gwendolyn Ann Smith created a web project called Remembering Our Dead to honor the transgender homicide victims. For the transgender community in Boston, it was as if the sun had suddenly gone out. Reverend Irene Munro, at the 1998 vigil For for Hester, told the Daily Beast, glamorous, a sister, a diva, a friend with attitude, sassiness, and style. I wasn't a close friend of Rita's, but I knew her like one would know folks in the community, where you would laugh and lollygag and play catch up with them. Everybody knew her, especially the trans community and the African-American LGBTQ communities. Monroe recalls Hester's mother, Catherine, takes the microphone at the vigil and said, in a faltering voice, I would have gladly died for you, Rita. I would have taken the stabs and I would have told you to run. I loved you. The procession began at the Model Cafe in Austin and ended outside of Hester's apartment building, where Kathleen and her children kneeled together and recited the Lord's Prayer. There were tears, Monroe said, but also anger and fear that the recent rash of transgender killings in the area would claim more lives. The following year, the Transgender Day of Remembrance was found and planned marches to the honor the victims in Boston and San Francisco. The first Transgender Day of Remembrance vigil was held in San Francisco in 1999, and Transgender Day of Remembrance is held November of each year on the anniversary of the death of Rita Hester. When the Transgender Day of Remembrance first began, trans people were nameless victims in many cases. Smith wrote in the 2014 The Advocate, Our killers would do their best to erase our existence from the world and law enforcement and media and others would continue the job. The city of Boston unveiled a mural of Rita, and the mural is located at 506 Camden Street in Austin. During the event, they chose to name the piece Rita Spotlight, and Sergeant John Boyle, a police spokesman, declined to comment on the specifics about the case because the investigation is still active. He said, yeah, we do not like the connotation of cold, he said. We like to call it unsolved. Boyle said an unsolved homicide unit continues to work the case, but he wouldn't let anybody interview any of the detectives. He couldn't say how many of the cases the unit was responsible for, but he did add that they don't give up on their cases. They work on them. Well, that's good. 
Diana Hester said that for the first several years, she called the Boston Police Department all the time for updates on the case. In 2006, it was announced that they did reopen the case, but she had never heard much after that. Mm-hmm. So, And then she said, quote, and after a while, I just really stopped calling. But this is still an unsolved case with little to no leads on it whatsoever. No. Okay. And they would call it cold case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a cold case. A very cold case. Yeah. It doesn't really, I don't think very many people. No. Do we it's want to a, talk about theories? Like what people, I like what we think happened or who did it? I think they're pretty accurate. Her friend Brenda's pretty accurate in saying that it's probably someone that just like couldn't I face up to Bobby. the facts. Ooh. I do. I think it was Bobby because he went, he disappeared. He did, he did disappear and actually <coughs> That's suspicious. Him. Yeah. Suspicious. And since it seems like there was evidence that she knew person like she mm-hmm. initially felt safe mm-hmm. and comfortable yeah. i think that unless she was a call girl then you know mm-hmm. people would be used to was there any records of that like of her i think she did dabble in mm. sex work a little bit okay mm-hmm. but i don't know if that was like her full-time gig or if yeah. that was like a thing she did consistently right. but it was something that she did do in her lifetime so it sounds like there were some really good police on the case, but not initially. They didn't show up initially. Yeah. And it took a while for... Yeah, the, um, that the part thing is odd. of not taking them to... Not taking her to the hospital for an hour is really odd to me. Yeah, that is. It's really odd. I mean, it, to me, it's like there's no value on her life. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's just like... yeah. Oh, maybe we'll go and get coffee. Yeah. yeah. You know, we'll, like, we'll deal with this in a little bit. And yeah. could you imagine Not waiting out on the floor and seeing people just, like, walk past you? Yeah, like, I can't. When they're, like, supposed to be taking you to the hospital? Right. Like, could you imagine that? Like, I don't even, no. like, you're supposed to be like, oh, yay, someone's here to save me. And then it's just like, oh, I'm just going to lay here for a whole hour and just bleed. Yeah. Well, they just my 20 stab wounds. Like, not even being seen and just, like, yeah. Just forgotten about, yeah. like, tossed, you know. That's yeah. really sad. And like I've never again, heard she didn't case before either. Bleed it's out. Sad. She died of cardiac arrest. Ugh. Like a heart attack. Yeah. How does? I mean, they had to have seen her suffering too. I I don't I don't understand that. I don't even know how. Like I don't know enough things that cause a heart attack. Yeah. But and blood loss can. Yeah. And blood loss can cause a heart attack, but. I get. I saw. I would think with twenty stab wounds that you would bleed out first. Right. But I guess maybe if it doesn't hit the right things, I don't know. Yeah. Or they weren't deep enough or something. It was shallow. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't. I don't know about that stuff enough. I guess. I, I, <laughs> I think don't. the call girl, or even that somebody she met that night at a bar or something. Yeah. That, yeah, definitely a plausible theory. Yeah. But there's just something odd about Bobby disappearing for me. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also, it's like, did he disappear or did they just not look for him? Yeah. That's that a good could point. be too. That's a good point. Yeah, it's just sad. It's very sad. sad to me. All right, you want me to dive into who what? Ooh. Yeah, let's tell a little bit about who she was as a person so we can just end on a good note and yeah. tell you about her. And we always do that with each case. 
as much as we can try to not make the, the remembrance on their death, but like who, who they, they were. were as a person. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Who was Rita? Hester was born November 30th, 1963. She grew up in Hartford, Connecticut, one of five kids. There was never a time in her life when Hester wasn't Rita, according to her younger sister, Diana. As far as Diana can recall, her big sister didn't have a particular coming out as a trans moment. I kind of always knew just the very feminine way that she was in everything, she said, adding that her family had embraced her sister's transition, which is really, I just have to add, like back then, that's... That's a big deal. Yeah, and that didn't happen a lot. being in a black family too, it's a big deal because a lot of the time it's hard for them to accept. Yeah. That. Yeah. It is. For traditions big. and religious backgrounds and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My entire family, you know, even my nieces and nephew, nephew, everybody knew Rita, she added. It was very receptive. No issue whatsoever. Rita didn't find the Hartford community very welcoming, according to her sister. In Hartford, people got assaulted and got hurt and all the other stuff, but Rita had friends initially in Boston and started going to Boston, she said. In her early 20s, Rita made the permanent move. In Boston, she could also make her gender transition permanent. Hester found a community in Boston who lifted her up and often spoke highly of her beauty, musical talents, and exuberance. According to friends, she was deeply embedded in the city's rock scene. She performed as a rock and roll musician and a performer who danced at venues like Jacques Mm -hmm. Cabernet and hung out in her neighborhood's bars, gay and straight. Hester lived large and loved big, friends said. She loved to travel to Greece for vacation and did so frequently. She had a cat and a boa constrictor. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) In the same house. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder how those two got along. Apparently well. She and her friend Brenda Wynn were always making a racket in her first floor (laughs) apartment on Parkdale Avenue in Boston. The two were constantly laughing, gossiping, and cooking. Rita spent a lot of time at Jack's, a gay bar known for its drag shows. Johnny Frida, who was a bartender there since 1973, remembers her well. She was a happy person, Frida said. She would get up and dance. She was out for a good time. A larger-than-life type of person. She was kind, strong, and beautiful. Wow. Yeah. It's very sad. I know. I, I thought it was cool that she was like a rock and roll musician and mm-hmm. stuff, too. Like, so full of life. Yeah. yeah. She's just yeah. doing her just own thing. Fun. Just enjoying yeah. it, you know? Yeah. She was also like a big, outspoken ally for just the community as a whole. Yeah. And she just like... Well, she was noted and comments on the yeah. other case you yeah know. it's she just, just was passionate you know um, she yeah. cared about people and it's really sad the way that she passed that should shouldn't happen to anybody yeah, yeah. Yeah. no dignity for human life right. it's just no. sad yeah i hope to see it solved you know obviously we yeah. hope to see all of them solved but yeah to see some justice and and of course as always if anybody has information that can help get this solved please reach out to the boston police department if yeah. you know anything so boston, boston pd <laughs> boston. boston i wonder if she had like a boston accent boston. well she was from uh oh that's true where did they say she was from i feel like you moved to boston you want to embrace that yeah, yeah. boston accent <laughs> i love it 
Anybody have any final thoughts on the case? Well, do you think if the goal is to kind of open up the case more mm -hmm. and you know, to bring life to it, like, hey, let's look at this again. Yeah. And being an advocate, is there a way of basically, besides, I mean, going on a talk show on a podcast, yeah. Yeah. but like getting word out, let's just say about a specific person. Yeah. You know, like, is there such a thing as companies or whatever that do that where they're like, okay, we'll take this on and we're going to basically market it, like bringing life back to it just to... Honestly, I think the most... top of mind. Most work we've seen in the last probably 10 years is like YouTubers and <coughs> podcasters documentary have brought light to cases that like nobody would have known about. Yeah. And there's like a whole documentary on Netflix, I think, about a case being solved because of podcasts and yeah. YouTubers. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You should yeah. feel hopeful. It yeah. does. And like not all of them can obviously be solved that way, but it gets enough people like thinking, like enough people that are in those types of positions that are like, oh yeah, that needs to yeah. be solved. Like that mm -hmm. needs to be worked on. Yeah. Yeah. This is fucked up. Like we need to fix this, you know? And yeah. I'm sure like detectives and the police departments, they're bogged down with a lot of cases. Of so yeah. it, it's important to do this, talk about it, get the word out and, you know, share. Yeah. Um, because you just never know what kind of information somebody might have. Mm hmm but that's a really good yeah. point. It'd be cool to like see it get more traction. Like mm -hmm. people maybe adopt a case and they're like, "This is our case that yeah. we're we're gonna try to bring light like, to. We're gonna take a stand for this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that would be cool. I mean, would. we could try something, right? Set something up, right? You know, It'd be super cool. And a lot yeah. of I know families do that kind of stuff, but they need that additional support. Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, I know I said this last week, but doing this research makes me really sad overall. Not only because, because these are all like tragic cases, yeah. but certain cases just get so much coverage. Yeah. Like we did John Benet Ramsey. And there's, there was just so yeah. much information that I could pull from and I could just keep pulling and keep I pulling knew. and keep pulling. And then some of these I'm just like, can find one yeah. article i can find two articles right just like there was that one that other colorado case that was one of them i was talking about there just isn't even enough about her life mm -mm. to have shared mm -mm. like who she was and she was what a 12 13 something like she that was, she was uh, 16 16 i'm sorry yeah just not a whole lot of information but i told kylie when i heard it i was like we should talk about it on the pod even though we don't yeah. have a lot to share just to get that out there because it's so unsolved. You never know. You know, we'll hear and something will just click. Yeah. yeah. So that show Unsolved Cases uh -huh. um, was just featured on a news story because they had an episode about a child that was abducted and her father like reported her missing. Yeah. She was missing for 10 years, I want to say. And um, someone had watched the case on TV and saw her and called and said, hey, I, I see this girl. She's Ten in my years store. later. Was that amazing? And so she was reunited with her dad. Her mother kidnapped her. Oh. Took her away. There was a custody there was battle. joint custody. Yeah. So she took her and never allowed the father to see her again. And then wow. she was finally reunited with her dad. But because this person had seen this episode... And it was like, oh, 
I've seen that little girl. Yeah. Like, I know who she is. It's just proof that it is important. Little things, yeah. Because a lot of times people will get upset and be like, oh, these true crime documentaries or podcasts, you know, you're using this stuff for entertainment. But people yes, enjoy listening <laughs> to the stories. Well, yeah. But yeah. 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 Entertaining. There. And if I, you know, see this red hat at this yeah, exactly. Seven Eleven. Then you, yes. you know, it's, yeah. and then I see it again. It'll be like hmm. you put yeah. the puzzle pieces hmm. together. Yeah. yeah. Can I put these together? Yeah. I see a repeated. Yeah, there's a pattern. pattern. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this is good. Yeah. He's doing good work. She does so much research and just so selective with the cases she chooses and. Let my heart and speak. <laughs> I was going to say it back really? to you. Yeah. Yes, she does. Because I, totally. this whole, like, every episode, I've had 10 episodes. I've had specific cases that I had picked out for each one. Right. And researching each case, it turned into a different case. And I was like, oh, I'm actually going to do this one too. Yeah. Yeah. So, they just got me down rabbit holes and I was like, oh, this one's not worse than the other. But yeah. it's just like, no. oh, I've never heard of this one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I've never heard of it, I don't think other people have heard right. of it. So maybe I should just say this one instead of this other one that's covered so yeah. many times. Yeah. You know? And I was gonna say to your point about that with like the John Bonet case. I mean, it was so there was so much detail about that. It had so much. Like they even knew the contents of the food she'd eaten yeah. the night before that was in her stomach. Mm-hmm. Like wow. so much. There's so much in it, and we want to see that solved. I mean, I think we'd all love to see that solved Absolutely. in our lifetime, but. How sad that there's so many people that their cases don't get that kind of attention. Time. I just want yeah. that for everybody. Probably I'm, most. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that the John Bonet case should get less attention. I'm saying I want everybody to have the, the same, same attention. Yeah. And obviously, so many. There's so many of them. Like it. It would be hard to do, but it, it's it just would. like yeah. Put some effort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not saying that you're not putting any, but like put some effort, you and know? I, yeah, I, or just like respect maybe yeah. is what I'm looking for more than the effort. And I would call out the news media for that uh, because they report what they think is going to be sensational. Yeah, what absolutely. Will sell. Yes, exactly. It's well, not even... Tug on people's heartstrings and yeah. certain things. This tug should, a little every, bit more usually. Everybody dying yeah. should yeah. tug on your heartstrings. Absolutely. You know? Well, any more final thoughts before we close? All right. Thank you guys for being on. Thanks for the doubt. Of course. (laughs) Thanks for doubting with us. I love the way he's like, thanks for the (laughs) doubt. I think he's feeling it right Um, now. (laughs) Yeah, I've just been chilling over here. Chilling like a villain. I love it. You're like one of the few guests that have taken dabs with us. Yeah, everybody else is Yeah, we've had maybe, what, maybe one or two? Looks like you're yeah, maybe one or two guests. Yeah, so. uh, not for the fainter part. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, delicious. Alrighty. Well, thank you guys again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Until yeah.